Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I trust the next hour may inspire you and assist you maybe even to rediscover your essential wholeness and your interconnectedness with all life. It's been said that an anxious mind cannot exist in a relaxed body. I love that, don't you? Let me say it again. An anxious mind cannot exist in a relaxed body. So as we think about that, you'll likely agree that in a state of complete relaxation, the mind shifts into a deep and restorative place of peace. So does the body. It goes into that place of healing. So how do we sustain that peace? For many of you feeling anxious, angry, depressed, disconnected, and maybe even constantly on alert, you don't need to suffer. Our guest today offers a powerful solution for living a contented life free of conflict and fear by opening your mind and body to its inherent ground of health and well-being. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, Open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. For over four decades, Dr. Richard Miller has dedicated his life to the prevention and alleviation of suffering and to helping people awaken to their essential wholeness and well-being. Founding president of the Integrative Restoration Institute and co-founder of the International Association of Yoga Therapy, Richard is regarded as a leader in the field of meditation, yoga therapy, and mental health. Dr. Miller is a respected author, scholar, researcher, and speaker who leads workshops, trainings, and retreats internationally, and there's so much more that you're going to learn about him because he's amazing, and I'm happy to have him here. So welcome, Dr. Miller. Thank you, Julie. Nice to be here joining you today. Oh, thank you. And can I call you Richard? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Excellent. So, Richard, I, I'm looking forward to this conversation for many reasons, and um I just actually just continued my um, licensure as a mental health practitioner myself, and I was just noticing this week how many amazing new resources there are that are integrating practices and spirituality and like yoga therapy and so many amazing offerings into our traditional allopathic model and it just made me so happy I was like jumping for joy over the weekend when I was looking at my continuing education um, and putting it on my little renewal and and so I was like going oh my gosh and now I get Richard this week so I'm so happy about that and I can't wait to dig into that for professionals but for people alike like I said and and really help 
those listeners move out of that place of anxiety, depression, disconnection, things like that. But I have a traditional first question here on the show, Richard, that I like to put our conversation into this greater perspective. So I want to ask you if you can share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Wonderful question. And I was taken by your actually introductory remarks because when we disconnect from ourself, when we lose a sense of essential connection, I, I think of it as different messengers arrive in our life to tell us that we're disconnecting. One of them is anxiety, another is fear. And for me, all things connected means that we're both uh, friends with ourself, and that means our body, sensations, emotions, thoughts, we're, we're our best friend and we're safe with ourself. We, we know when to say no, we know when to say yes, and we're comfortable seeing and hearing ourself. All things connected to me also is that we're connected with nature and the world around us. We're not separate and so we feel a vital interconnectedness with all of life and that means in all of our actions, our speech, our thoughts, we feel a sense of harmony both within ourselves and with the greater world around us. So that to me is all things connected. Mm, Beautiful. And I just have to say even your voice, Richard, is so soothing and calm and I know I've listened to your meditations I've listened to different CDs and and have heard your voice but just even on this show there's this I can feel the peace just being in your presence here and and having this conversation so thank you for bringing that peace and I loved that response Um, let's let's start by understanding who is Dr. Richard Miller, because here you are, a psychologist, but also um, one of the pioneers in bringing together the East and the West and and this beautiful thing that we call Yoga Nidra now. So how did you get started? What's your story, Richard? What brings you to this moment in time of really relieving suffering on the planet? You know, in 1970, I was new to San Francisco, and I was looking to meet friends, um, like-minded people. I didn't know anybody here. And somehow, I wandered into a yoga class that was being taught through the Integral Yoga Institute. Little did I know that the class would be taught for 12 weeks in silence, so I never really met anybody, but I like to say that in the first class I met myself in a way that I had never encountered myself before through the meditation that was being offered. And it it just rose a very strong response in me to understand what is this that they're teaching me and what is this feeling that I just reconnected to myself and felt like I just came home to myself and to learn more about it. So that started me off, I would say, in the last 46 years, really deeply inquiring, what is meditation? Uh, What is this particular practice we call yoga nidra, which I got that first evening? And then along the way, as I became a psychotherapist, a clinical psychologist, uh, I was fortunate to meet some 
extraordinary teachers who helped me integrate it into my clinical practice. So meditation, Western psychology, um, neuroscience, they all became very interesting to me in how to weave them all together because I felt that they were complementary. Back in 1970, it was rare to find an integration at that level, so I felt very fortunate in having teachers early on who helped me see that integration of Western and Eastern. But uh, truly, the, the first movement was me coming home to myself and learning to befriend my own emotions, my own thoughts, uh, my own sense of humanity and humanness through the, through the practices that I was engaging in. Mm, beautiful. I love the coming home to yourself piece. It's so true when we really learn these practices. So let's just, in case someone hasn't heard of yoga nindra or yoga therapy, let's just define that for the listeners before we really get into how it works, why it works, and, and then how we're applying it to different populations. Well, thank you. The word yoga for me, means that sense of interconnectedness that we were talking about a few moments ago. So I feel very interconnected with myself, and I feel very interconnected and in harmony with the nature and the world and the universe around me. So I don't feel separate. I feel very, very integrated. The word nidra actually means sleep, but it represents a changing state of consciousness. So a changing state could be waking or sleeping, but it also could be irritation, sadness, grief, happiness, because these are states that are coming and going. So yoga nidra is actually a practice where we learn to feel interconnected and connected with ourself, with the universe around us, the world around us, our relationships, friends, peers, no matter the state that we're experiencing in our body. So we could be feeling, say, discomfort or acute or chronic pain. We're experiencing a disease. We're having to undergo, I don't know, cancer treatment. We're experiencing multiple sclerosis or just a bad back. But somehow we don't lose our sense of connectedness with ourselves and the world around us. But equally, because we're human beings, we do experience anger, irritation, sadness, a friend dies, we experience grief, a loved one passes. So we're able to feel that deep sense of connection with ourself and the world around us, no matter the changing state of consciousness we may be experiencing. That is the practice of yoga in general and yoga nidra as a specific practice of meditation. I think that's a, a beautiful introduction, and when you say that, the, the piece that jumped out for me is describing, understanding the disconnect, because what, what we're doing is really bringing people into that interconnectedness to feel it, but why is it that these feelings, why is it that grief or anxiety or fear takes us into this disconnected place? What is that in you? How would you describe that? Um an emotion is a pretty overwhelming um, sensation in our body and through research I've come to appreciate how something like grief or anger can activate certain parts of our nervous system in particular the amygdala 
which puts out chemicals that then can hold us hostage through the chemical and electrical activity that's being generated. And we all know if we find a moment of intense anger, it can take us sometimes hours or even a few days to get over the reaction that it stimulates in the body. Interestingly enough, when a particular emotion holds us hostage momentarily, it can shut down other parts of our nervous system, the hippocampus and other structures, which help us otherwise have a sense of perspective, consequence of actions we might otherwise engage us. So the old age advice of count to 10 if you're feeling upset is really actually a vital intervention because it might give us time to calm down those activated parts of our nervous system and to activate the parts that have gone offline so that we can get back a sense of perspective. Um, but yeah, grief, anger, sadness uh, can really be overwhelming, overpowering emotions that take us away and we might not see the right action in the moment that we need to take or as social beings, we may have a social fear that if we were to say something in a particular way, we might be ostracized or somebody might criticize us. So I think there are also social animal um, implications here when we're feeling a certain way. Many of us were educated earlier on not to feel anger or not to feel certain or show certain emotions. So I think there are a lot of consequences that go into um, being disconnected from ourself when we're feeling any particular emotion. Mm, yeah, and disconnected from that calm. I, I really appreciate um, in your writings how you, it's almost like that place of peace and calm is synonymous with who is our true nature, our true self, that that unique expression of wholeness that we are. So that's one of our goals. So when we come into this place of peace, um, as you teach Yoga Nidra, you're also you're also assisting really difficult and oh gosh, I don't. It, it's even amazing to me to even think of what you're doing. You're assisting even victims of post-traumatic stress disorder and veterans of war and, and other atrocity, atrocities to come into that calm place of peace. And it's not about, help us understand this, it's not about fighting all of that. Just like you said, it's not about fighting anger. But also we know that there's this, these intrusive things that happen when we're, say, experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder. So we know... I'm talking too much here, so that means I need to get you talking more. But we know post-traumatic stress, we know other things, really um, creating this sense of peace is not only healing our physical body, but our mind. And we know that through research. So let's talk about that. What What is happening? I, I, I'm just going to give you a little commercial and I'll share a lot more with our clients in a, in a minute. But you've created a program specifically for post-traumatic stress and you're doing amazing work in the world. So let's, let's just talk about that. Sure. 
Well, I, I, I'd like to go to one word which you used as you were presenting this question, which was the word victim. And victim can have a, a kind of a negative association with it. If we go to the actual definition of it, it just simply means someone who has experienced an injury as a consequence of some action. Now, that could be an act of war. It could be uh, an accident that happened. So, in a way, uh, I like to take the negative uh, pejorative stances out of words. So, victim to me is simply somebody who's experienced an injury. And so, yes, we're working with um, victims. I like to call them survivors of trauma, war, sexual trafficking, psychological abuse, um, physical illness or injury. Uh, accidents, um, so some something that has created a sense of trauma uh, that has lasting effects. And, and I work with both acute trauma, where it's fairly simple to work through, to very chronic, uh, complicated trauma, which can take months or years to, to resolve or to put into place the tools. There's also, a, I think, a very important element in my work, which is we can work with certain interventions like the ones that I've created and, and give to people to work towards achieving a sense of wholeness or a sense of peace. That to me is like putting the cart uh, in front of the horse. For me, what I like to do is teach a person or show a person the wholeness and the peace that's already residing within themselves very early on, hopefully in the first meeting I have with the person. So we're then working from wholeness and from peace to do the healing that's necessary. When we work from our wholeness, we actually discover a part in, in ourselves that's never been broken, has never been injured or hurt as a consequence of, say, trauma, and doesn't need to be fixed or changed where then we're, we're really feeling that sense within us of something that remains unbroken and whole and, I would say, very deeply peaceful. And then we're, we're working out or from that sense of peace and wholeness as we address the things that do need fixing. And I like to, to um, <clears throat> comment on what one veteran said when he discovered this in, in his first session and working with us. He said, every other intervention up until now has always emphasized what's wrong with me and what about me needs to be fixed or changed. You're the first intervention that is showing me what's right about me, what's not broken, what is whole and doesn't need to be fixed. And now that I know that, I'm willing to look at what needs to be broken or fixed. So we like to take uh, the emphasis off something's broken or needs fixing about me and really help a person discover the rightness about them and then they can look at things that do need to be fixed or changed. So I love this um, kind of emphasis on wholeness at the very beginning. We're not making interventions to become whole we're discovering our wholeness that's already and always here that may be covered over by the trauma that we may be experiencing or the difficulty. And then we're practicing from that center of wholeness. Beautiful. How do you 
how do you do that, Richard? How do you recommend, besides the the experiential part of really experiencing the piece through the meditation and the tools that you're doing, but how else do you work with individual clients to have them really come from that place of wholeness, to really create that foundation of wholeness from the beginning? Well, I'm a big advocate of don't trust me, try this and let me know if it's true for yourself. So we're trying to help people come into their first hand knowing. So right from the beginning, I'm not so much telling them or giving them information. I'm actually leading them in some experiments, I call them, or exercises that help them inquire into their own body, their own felt sense of wholeness that because the emotion that might be present or the circumstances, as we were talking before, are so overpowering, they're not seeing or feeling this other sense of wholeness. So actually I have a oh, a 20-minute exercise that I take people through where I ask them you know, briefly to take a moment and find a place within themselves where they could just rest uh, in a sense of basic being. In other words, when, and we, I, I, I've never met a person who doesn't understand this with a little bit of uh, explaining, but say we've finished mowing the lawn or we've finished some activity, we're not yet ready to go on to the next activity. So there's this moment of space between doing one thing and doing the next. It's also the space we encounter between two thoughts, between two breaths. So I have a person come into that kind of experience while they're sitting with me in my office or in a group. And I'll ask them then a a number of questions that help them to discover this sense of wholeness, which actually is residing in all of us in this basic sense of simple being that we all do know but we may not spend time during the day nourishing or inviting into conscious awareness. Mm. Thank you. That it, just even having you describe that feels so inviting. Like yes, I you know we all can do that for ourselves every day and and remember coming from that place of wholeness and and that I I love the activity thing too. If I think about when I come up from a workout, I I do a Peloton spin class and I come up from the basement after getting off that bike and I just want to rest and I go into, you know, I, I sit with my water and I just go, ah, and I exhale and it's like this perfect example that that, that place can remind us of. So thank you for that. That's really... Well, it's one of the reasons why I call my protocol I rest because we're helping ourselves just rest back for a moment. And I call it integrative restoration because it's helping us reintegrate, finding our wholeness, restoring that sense of well-being, and then going back out into the world and facing our life. And it's so important to be able to discover this sense of wholeness and then realize we can carry it with us no matter our circumstance or situation. Mm. Good advice. I I just want to pause there and um, give you just a 
moment of recognition here in the IRES, the integrative restoration that you talked about, what you created, the program, but it's also your website. So I want to make sure that our listeners hear that again, integrative restoration. You call it IREST, I-R-E-S-T, and the website is www.irest.us. And it is full of really incredible information there and opportunities and so much more. So, Richard, we're going to take a break here. And um, I just really want to pause into the rest, the, I love the restorative part of healing. But as we move into the next session, healing is really a part of that wholeness as well. And I really want to tie this into our healing and how literally some of these tools, you have you have 10 tools and you have some core principles, but really how that brings us into this sense of restoration and peace on a physical level, an emotional level, and on our into our wholeness. So we're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Richard Miller, creator of the iRest program. We'll be right back. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn. Or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes. That one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Do you get tired of styling your hair every day? And do you want a good hairstyle every day? Hi, I'm Sarah Schuster. I went on a website called inventnow.org. And after that, I decided to invent something too. Something called the Insta-Do. Just imagine, you just put it over your head like a helmet does, and you pick your hairstyle with the buttons on the side, and you can have 
instant hairstyle in seconds. People like it. People like Jeff Bart. I like it. And people like Kenneth. It's a summer thing, and it fits over your head, and it's great. Thank you, to... Kenneth. You should go to inventnow.org, and it could help you come up with your own invention. After all, look at me on the radio now. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com and also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm talking with Dr. Richard Miller today, founder and creator of the iRest program, and he wrote a book. It's it's a beautiful book. I get two of his books sitting in front of me, the iRest program for healing PTSD, overcoming trauma, and I just want to say, Richard, before we really get into the tools and, and how this program works, um, you are doing a lot of training. You're having ongoing trainings all the time. You have an upcoming retreat in October, and you're also doing fundraising for human trafficking and scholarships for veterans. And I just want to say there are IRS programs in military hospitals across the United States, as well as correctional facilities, hospices, clinics, schools, and organizations that are supporting personal growth and well-being. And in 2010, I believe, the IRest was endorsed by the U.S. Army Surgeon General and Defense Centers of Excellence as a complementary and alternative medicine. So this is good stuff. This is really good stuff. And and I just want the world to know and find <laughs> out more. And clinicians, go visit irest.us, I-R-E-S-T dot U-S. And it, there's so much here for for lay people and for clinicians alike. So Richard, let's talk about the IRS program and the different components of it. You you teach tools, you're doing training. So give us a feeling of, of what this program is and, and um, what are some of those specific tools that you teach? Sure, we have 10 basic uh, principles or tools that we teach. And they're secular in design, so that way they respect a person's age, cultural background, philosophical stance, and religious or spiritual orientation. So that's a very important component of it, that it's available for anybody and everybody, um, irrespective of who they are. And then there are these 10 simple tools. The, The first tool is teaching a person to just take a moment Uh, settle down a bit. I like to say, feel the actual energy or life force that has given birth to your body that's animating every single atom and molecule in your body. So when we take the mind off of thinking and we focus it on the body itself, it has a natural relaxation response that comes very quickly. And as you started the show out by saying an anxious mind 
can't coexist with a relaxed body. That's what we're after. We're teaching these relaxation skills right at the start so that we can begin to unhook the mind and shift into this more restorative aspect of peace. So I, I would invite your listeners and, and you, and I'll do it at the same time, just to take a moment and sense your hands. Shift from thinking to actually sensing the actual feelings or sensations of your hands where you can begin to feel a pulsing or throbbing or tingling. And the moment we begin to shift into sensing the body, the thinking mind can begin to calm down. So we have some very simple exercises where we shift a person into sensing their mouth, their jaw, their eyes, their shoulders, and their palms. And I would invite again the listeners, if you take a moment and just sense the tension that might be present in your jaw, or how are your shoulders in this moment, the feeling in your hands, or the gentle movement of your belly as you breathe in and out. We know from research that just by making these small little shifts, we can actually get large shifts in your nervous system that help begin to induce a sense of calmness. So the first technique or intervention is really some very simple um, relaxation techniques that have extraordinary power. The second tool we, we ask a person to invite themselves into is, why are you doing this? What's your intention? And to begin to write down and formulate intentions that a person has to help them move forward so they keep coming back to their intention. So an intention could be, I want to learn how to relax so I can get a good night's sleep, or I have pain in my body, my intention would be to learn certain exercises that can help me deal with the pain or alleviate the symptoms that I'm having with my trauma. So we have a person really anchor into their intentions. And the third tool is we help them locate this sense of wholeness in their body, a sense of well-being as an unchanging resource that we're helping them see can be present with whatever sensation, emotion, or thought that they might have at the same time. And once we have these three basic tools in place, a, a little bit of a relaxation response, the intention for the practice that's motivating them to keep going because learning these tools can take patience, persistence, and perseverance. So having intentions helps motivate people and keep them on track. And then this third inner resource of wholeness or well-being that we then begin to weave into the next tools. The next tools that come after this is we teach a very um, comprehensive form of relaxation training. So we're having a person scan through their body, locate different sensations, and learn how to, we would say, reduce the tension. And this has ramifications right away with things like chronic pain. We've done studies with veterans who have chronic pain from the Gulf War or from Afghanistan war or Iraqi war fronts. 
and they're learning these tools and many of them will say what just happened to my pain it's gone and so we're teaching them tools that can both help them sometimes alleviate their pain or deal with it the uh, fifth tool we give are breathing uh, interventions so we're showing how to use the breath to induce again deep relaxation to create what we call heart rate variability which we know that when a person has heart rate variability it induces healthy states within their mind and the body and that's as simple as teaching a person to exhale longer than they're inhaling so if their inhale is say four seconds long their exhale would be six seconds long by establishing that kind of asymmetry in their breathing pattern where exhale is uh, longer than their inhale, we can begin to restore a sense of relaxation, pain relief, and helping the anxious mind become more of a relaxed mind. The next two tools uh, we teach are how to work with emotions and thoughts, beliefs, memories, and images. Because a lot of people have images that are kind of stuck in their mind or negative um, ongoing thoughts that they loop in. So we teach actually nine basic interventions of how to meet an emotion, how to work with a thought or an image or a memory that can help a person feel empowered. One of the things I've come to appreciate is when we have a trauma of any kind, and that could be, again, a friend dies, um, a change in job, even getting married can have a stress on our body. Um, we can lose a sense of connection with ourself and we can begin to feel unempowered in our life. Uh, learning how to deeply relax the physical body, learning breathing exercises, and the nine interventions that we teach about how to work with emotions and thoughts can help a person restore their sense of control and empowerment. And it's one of the first things that veterans often tell us, that one, they're sleeping better through the night, their pain is decreased, their actual medications are often being reduced, and they have a greater sense of control where they didn't before. The next tool we teach is a sense of well-being where we're going back to that inner resource which we created at the very beginning a, a kind of a touchstone feeling in the body a foundational ground of well-being and in this next tool we really spend a lot of time enhancing it getting it really embedded into the body so a person can experience it at a given moment and we do some interesting work where we will actually have a person feel that deep sense of well-being in their body, very somatically, so it's a felt sense. And then we'll have them invite in uh, a difficult emotion and pair it together. So they're weaving that sense of well-being along with the emotion or the image or the memory or the thought that they're having. And what we find is over time because we've woven them together at another instance in the future when they start to feel, say, upset or angry or sad, that feeling of well-being will well up. It will co-arise and give them a sense of ground with which they can navigate the, the difficult emotion or circumstance that they're facing. The last tool is we teach how to integrate all these other nine tools into their daily life. So 
we help them actually feel it, sense their way into it, experience it, how to be with another person when you're having a difficult moment in relationship or you're having a difficult moment at work with a peer or your boss or your child or your spouse, partner. We're actually teaching them how to weave these other skills in and amidst the circumstances of life. It's kind of like taking your life for a test drive. Go out, try it, come back, relearn the skills, go back out, try it again, come back. So it's a kind of a going back into life and forth between practicing and engaging in real life. And somebody asked me, for instance, how do I take this into a moment where I'm sitting at the dining room table with somebody and I walked them through a couple of the exercises of how to work with an emotion, welcoming it, feeling it, and asking what action is this emotion inviting me to take that by taking it would lead me to feel empowered. Um, I also tell people if you're in a difficult moment, then take a time out. If you're at a, having a conversation at a party and you start to get upset or the dinner table, then take a moment, excuse yourself, tell somebody that you're going to the bathroom, go into the restroom, sit down, take a moment, put in place one of these tools until you can get a, a sense of um, harmony going and then go back to the conversation or back to the dinner room, dining room table. So we're trying to teach these 10 tools as very practical steps that a person can integrate directly into their life, all of their relationships and, and circumstances. But the basic foundation of all of them is that they're bodily based. It's a somatic felt sense intervention that we're teaching people. So it's very practical and skill oriented. And what we found is they're easy to learn takes time to put them into practice, um, but that's why we have uh, recordings that people listen to, writings that people can read to help support them in keeping their intention and their motivation as they continue learning these 10 tools. But bottom line, very secular and very bodily based so that a person is very quickly having their own experience of how that they are working. Cause I've come to deeply appreciate I want to give a person the experience of well-being or a tool that can help them feel in control very quickly so that they can actually feel how the tools are helping them and that increases their sense of uh, motivation. Yeah. And and just as an example, there was one vet who had a lot of road rage that he would get activated in because of his past trauma in the battlefield. And he would be consequently always getting enraged when somebody would cut him off. And we helped him develop this deep sense of well-being. And we helped him weave it into the different emotions that he would feel when he would get upset. And one day he came in and he said, I know this is working now because I was just driving. I got cut off by this vehicle in front of me. My mind started to go back into its old reactive response of wanting to pull the person over and pull them out of their car and beat them up. And as I was thinking about that, my hands were pulling me, my steering wheel in the opposite direction and taking me away. And then I could feel this sense of well-being welling up within me. And that's when I knew the tools were actually working because 
I wasn't having to think about them anymore. They were actually in my body and they were helping me move through the circumstance that otherwise would have gotten me into trouble. Mm, great example of that conditioning, that muscle memory of, of really practicing the practice to bring in there. That's a, you know, I, it made me wonder, Richard, have you ever encountered someone who can't find that sense of peace, wholeness, and well-being? Have you ever encountered someone who you know, can't achieve I, that? I, I have not. What I find is for some people it takes a little longer. Yeah. But by having them do these simple exercises like sense their hands, sense their jaw, getting them into a little bit of a relaxation response and then leading them into this very familiar feeling of being and then asking them a series of questions where they're inquiring, I have found um, in every case a person can begin to get a sense of it. It may take 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, but once they have a little taste, we're well on our way now. And I mean, the example comes to me, I was teaching in a homeless shelter a number of years ago, and there was one woman in the group who said, I, I don't understand what you're, you're um, telling me about here. So I, again, I took her through a little exercise and I just helped keep her focused because her, her mind kept distracting. And so I used my own voice and my own sense of presence to help her stay undistracted and then she was able to get a hold of the feeling in her own body. And once she did that, the, the whole technique began to make sense to her and take off. And she was one of the participants who came every week through the whole course of classes and got tremendous value out of it. Mm, great examples. Thank you for sharing those stories with us. You know, I'm thinking, and this is going to be kind of a leap Richard, but I'm really curious here because we have a lot of visionary leaders and change makers who tune in and listen to us here. And and as we're experiencing, you know, fear and anxiety on the on the planet right now, there's just a lot that's going on. And, you know, there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of, there's you know, there's so much going on. What would you say? to visionary leaders and change makers who are out there working to bring this sense of wholeness back to our collective consciousness, bringing this sense of calm and peace and wholeness back into who we are as, as a collective body. Because I, I see this work, your individual work with people can totally be brought into the collective and make really significant um, changes for us. You know, it goes back to the beginning of our conversation when you were opening the show today. An anxious mind cannot coexist in a relaxed body. When we begin to separate from ourselves, messengers within our body begin to show up. So I see anxiety and fear as arising when we begin to separate from ourselves. We all have built within us, I'm convinced, an inner compass that always knows exactly what to do, but our cultural surroundings can often take us in directions other than the what we know we should be doing. And the moment we deviate from ourselves, anxiety and fear are going 
to co-arise. So I think as change leaders, we're trying to help people stop and actually welcome back in their anxiety and fear, looking them as messengers and helping them see what are, what are the skillful actions that they need to take that bring them back into a sense of harmony with themselves and the people around them. So one of the principal um, words that I use is a word called welcoming, where we're learning how to befriend our emotions and our anxiety and our fear. We see them as helpful allies that if we can stop, invite it in, and look for these deeper actions that we need to take that would restore a sense of harmony, we would well be on our way as a culture and as a world towards greater peace. Um, a lot of times I see interventions that are designed to try to get rid of fear or try to get rid of anxiety, and we can quiet it down, but unless we realize anxiety and fear are, are actually here to help us, we don't want to get rid of it as much as stop, orient, and listen to the fear that's present in anxiety, then we can actually rectify the issues that are giving rise to it, which is always going to amount to this very simple principle. Whenever we separate from ourself, fear, anxiety are bound to arise. When we stay connected to ourself, stay connected to the people around ourselves, then we'll see and feel a sense of harmony. So I, I think the message is simple. The interventions are actually simple. The how to motivate people to engage them, that's where we need the thought leaders to use our own presence, our own peace that we've discovered to say and to show it's it's possible. I mean years ago I was riddled with fear, I was riddled with anxiety, I felt very alienated and separated and through these tools I learned how not to separate from my thoughts, my emotions, how to welcome them. I found that deep sense of wholeness and peace. So I know that if I can do it, other people can do it. And that's one of the adages that I say in my book on healing trauma. Uh, there are people before you who've been able to do it. You can therefore heal through your PTSD and by you healing through your trauma, you can show people in the future that they can too. So we're all, in a way, paying forward what we learn as we learn it. But as as visionaries, we are we are using our own presence, the peace we've discovered, to show people that it is possible, no matter their circumstances. And you know, I'm working with people who've been rescued from human trafficking. I'm working with people who've been through awful wartime. Um, experiences or plane crashes, automobile accidents, terrible diseases like cancer and um, Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis, and I'm helping them discover that sense of wholeness, and they heal. And then they, in turn, can show their brothers and sisters that it's possible for them as well. Mm. You know, I... Um Thank you, Richard. I really, really, really appreciate that message. And I just, I think about um, that this this whole integrative restoration is um, 
really weaving in from both sides of the healing process of of coming from our wholeness to begin with to find that peace and and coming from that place of wholeness relaxes us then so that our body mind can come into greater wholeness it's kind of um, really a beautiful prescription but but we really need both without our ability to fully rest and relax if there's a wound if there's a if there's a physical illness or wound we need that rest and, and relaxation to to literally heal so beautiful really beautiful easy way for us to see our healing potential here in in your your program and this integrative restoration and you know we need that as you say that deep relaxation that's very important uh, I like to also help people see that at times they're going to feel tense and tight and contracted and that they can still experience that sense of wholeness and well-being um, I'm reminded of a person who came to me several years ago deeply in depression and in the first session together I helped him discover this sense of wholeness. He went away and came back the next session and he said, I want you to know that while that sense of wholeness that I discovered when I was with you in that first meeting went away in very short time, it reinstalled in me with a sense of hope that and faith and trust that there was a way through and we began every session reestablishing that sense of wholeness which took him time to really anchor into but it did give him that sense of hope so even while he was still experiencing the depression the anxiety and the sense of inner contraction we kept showing him that the wholeness is there in spite of the tension that uh, he was experiencing and that really did help him give the motivation and give the sense of faith and trust to follow through with the exercises and the depression did clear over a period of months and I know him till today and he's a happy camper out there doing great work hmm. beautiful story beautiful story for us oh, thank you you know this really has been an inspiring conversation and and I know that your books and materials and CDs are even more inspiring and more comprehensive. So I just want to remind our listeners before we have to close today, we're talking with Richard Miller, the founder of the IRES program, and you can find out so much more. There's upcoming trainings, there's an upcoming retreat, there's some fundraising. Now, if you care at all about those who are recovering and survivors of trauma and human trafficking and others, go to the website and see if you can help out there's so many beautiful things here so again that website is irest.us i-r-e-s-t dot u-s Richard thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your gifts with all of our listeners thank you Julie thank you very much Mm. And thank you. And listeners, I just want to remind you that together we create connections for the greater good of the whole. So until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Mm.